You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of theparkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Rique, your host of the show, being joined, as always, by the publisher of the Bark Board, Mr. Jackson Moore. And Jackson, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucio. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm hanging in there. The weather's starting to 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 get really nice and warm here as we start to to head into the beginning portion of summer. Uh, but before that happens, uh, you know, we had to get through all of this spring and uh, and spring football at Fresno State, and uh, we were able to to kind of get get into that with the the spring preview that Fresno State put on uh, this past weekend. And Jackson, what was your overall thoughts when when uh, you left the the stadium that day? Yeah, you know, it was good to to see not only just the the team compete and stuff, but everything else that was going on. I mean, the pretty good crowd came out. They sold out the red and white lots with the parking tickets. And uh, so a decent amount of those fans cashed in on the baseball tickets. And I'm sure a lot of people went to vintage days. So it seemed like a pretty successful event. Uh, I will say I, I probably thought I might see a little more based off of the, the red and white lots being sold out. And I thought I might see a little more tailgating and, and that kind of stuff. I was able to to get into the stadium without a whole lot of traffic <laughs> about an hour beforehand. But uh, overall, it was a good showing, and uh, I think it was um, you know, taken in pretty well by the fans and the, the players that finally got to participate in front of the Red Wave this spring. And, you know, we're allowed at practice, uh, every practice, and we do a whole lot of interviews and we see uh, certain things. But, you know, we're really not allowed to see these kind of live situations that they participated in on the spring preview. So, from that standpoint, we were pretty much as fresh as anyone else in the stand. So that was really good to learn about some of these guys in the live setting too. Yeah, I was. I'm. I'm with you. I was a little underwhelmed by the whole uh, by the whole event, uh, so to speak. Uh, I think a lot of it was due to the lack of of just marketing it, Jackson. I, th- I don't. Not too many people even knew what was going on unless they saw it on some post on Facebook or something like that. So uh, if they really wanted to have a bigger crowd, they probably should have, um, you know, made it more well known that this was going on. And I just don't think they kind of pushed this whole event as much as they, they could have. Do you think the, the same there, Jackson? I, you know, I thought that uh, to sell out the red and white lots is pretty impressive. But just uh, when I got there, I thought <laughs> that they were going to be full with tailgaters. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was nobody there. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it's one thing to sell it out; it's another thing to fill it. Yeah, so that that was my little disconnect. I didn't get to see it maybe closer to the event. Maybe it filled up and people were grilling some burgers or something a little closer to eleven thirty and. Um, maybe that was the case, but uh, it was a little different than what I what I had expected. But I mean, I think they got some excitement and interest going in it. Yeah, it's a little hard, just uh, maybe less so from the marketing point, but just from the football team's point that it's not actually a spring game; that it's just a practice and a preview. And every time we ask to kind of rile it up, they would say, "Well, it's not a game; it's a preview; it's a practice." And so <laughs> that makes it a little tougher to market, but. I do think they did a good job getting the parking lot sold out. They got people into the baseball stadium, which is nice. And I didn't get a chance to stop by Vintage Days, but hopefully it helped over there too. Yeah, I I know Vintage Days was a was a big event like it usually is. Um, and, uh, of course, having a baseball game there going on at the same time, they had the Bulldog Boulevard open with the food trucks. And so I'm, I'm with you. I expected to see a lot more people there, but – for what it was a practice, uh, I guess you can consider it a, a pretty good showing. Um, my final guess was probably a couple of thousand, two to three thousand people there watching, uh, which is more than they get on a normal practice. They don't even let anybody see anything, so <laughs> I, I guess I guess it's a it's a a, a trade off there. I guess. Um, 
but that being said, Jackson, we had a chance to kind of sit there, watch the the action happening. And of course, I, I think we're going to take this opportunity to kind of break down every position and kind of see where where we're at, where we think of what's going on with Fresno State in a position by position. And, uh, you know, let's let's start off with the obvious. We've got the quarterback position. We already know the number one spot is is pretty well in hand, uh, but after that it's it's kind of wide open right jackson so what's your take on you know what what hayner was able to do and where the quarterback position is falling behind him yeah well i mean it was good to see hayner perform the way he did he looked like he was in mid-season form as did a bunch of the key receivers coming back with hayner throwing to them and you know there's not really much hayner can do to raise his stock or anything in this kind of setting but if he had a bad day, everyone would be thinking, uh-oh, you know, what's going on? So there wasn't anything like that. So uh, the best-case scenario for Hayner played out. He played well. He only had one bad pass, from my recollection, and even caught a touchdown pass, which uh, barely he made the catch. So he had to stumble a little bit getting in there past the pylon. But overall, a good day for Hayner. It was, uh, he actually participated more than we were led on to, to think. It sounded like he was going to take maybe a, a series or two and then hand it off to the backups. but. He was in there quite a bit, and he looked good and kind of keeps your confidence going into this season with so much riding on him and having a a big-time quarterback like that. Uh, But as far as the backups go, that was what we were really hoping to see, something develop from there. And, uh, you know, both quarterbacks, they had good moments. They had bad moments. We're talking about Logan Fife and Jalen Henderson here. And, um, you know, it was a thing where no one really stood out, perhaps, as the number two quarterback and. Leaves you wondering going into the, the fall, so that's still open. There's also a, a freshman coming in, Joshua Wood, who is even higher ranked than either of Fife or Henderson by 24-7 sports. So there's thought that he'll be in that mix as well this fall, even as a true freshman. Um, but watching Logan Fife, I think he probably had the best throw of the day, perhaps, on a, a 50-yard touchdown pass to Zane Pope. He also had two pretty ugly interceptions that he threw. Um, Henderson as well. He had another crazy pass, and it was as well as a of a pass as it was a catch. He was running and he jumped and threw it on the run. Zane Pope dove and caught it. I mean, that would have been a highlight play in any real game on on Sports Center. I went for about thirty five yards. Uh, Henderson didn't have any of the, the critical mistakes like the, the interceptions that Fife threw, but he did have a couple of short passes. There was like two or three back to back to back that were just off the mark a little bit. And, um, you know, we've seen quarterbacks in the past that are like that. They can make throws downfield, but they're not quite comfortable with the short yardage throws. Uh, fortunately, you know, Fresno State's running an offense where it's not as reliant on that uh, guy that comes to mind as Brian Burrell back in 2014, who could really fling it downfield, but wasn't too comfortable in those screen passes that Deruder and those guys were running. Um, hopefully that was just a, a blip for Henderson, but uh, overall, those two guys, they seem to have confidence that one of them's going to emerge or would coming in, but we just don't know who it is, and the spring preview really didn't uh, make someone stand out in terms of having a, a lead for that backup job. Yeah, that uh, that backup job is still wide open. Even the coaches were were being very coy about it, uh, did not want to let on to any kind of information whatsoever so um there's not really much there uh to to kind of figure out but out of you know your opinion jackson where where do you think these uh the quarterback quarterbacks land in uh, in order uh, according to you in your opinion yeah it it was sure seemed like Jalen Henderson kind of got a leg up over the course of the 2021 season. It was Logan Fife was the backup at the start of the year. Uh, you know, at UConn against UConn when Hender, uh, Hainer went out, uh, we saw Fife come in. Just a few weeks later at Hawaii, we saw Henderson was the quarterback of choice to come in uh, after Hainer got knocked out for a little bit. And you know, they tried to kind of keep it quiet. And even there was a uh, short time there going into the New Mexico Bowl where it looked like one of those two guys were going to have to start. And we all kind of assumed it was going to be Henderson. And coaches said, no, no, wait a minute. We don't know. It could be either of those two guys. So uh, it's kind of been playing this game the whole time. And I think ultimately you've got to give a, a leg up to Henderson just based off of his 
you know, he was a much more recruited player. He's got more athleticism. He's a taller, longer athlete, and uh, his ceiling is perceived to be a lot higher. But at the end of the day, um, when they're practicing, it seems to be pretty even between the two. And then you got to throw in Joshua Wood as well uh, coming in. Uh, it's hard to tell until he gets to practice where he fits in with that group. But um, there is a chance he could definitely compete with those two and potentially surpass them if he's uh, really as good as some people believe. I think one thing we did learn this spring is that Alec Trujillo is, is a little bit behind in that competition. He came in as a uh, preferred walk-on, but a guy that was a three-star quarterback at Memorial and was at San Jose State for a while. Thought he might... Uh, give those guys a run for their money, but it, it looks like he's kind of in the, the background as far as that goes right now. Yeah, and so the things are going to start to kind of uh, to develop from now until fall, uh, where hopefully one of these guys is going to emerge as the clear-cut number two, um, but only time will tell. Um, moving on, next position, kind of, we kind of got the same situation at the running back position we know who the number one running back is going to be, but uh, with Mims. But how does that kind of fall, you know, fall behind him there? Uh, because there is, from my opinion, there is a lack of depth right now, Jackson. So where do you see the the running back position standing? Yeah, the Bulldogs. They had seven running backs on the roster going into spring, and they competed in the spring preview with just two. <laughs> they had. They did have Jordan Mims. Like you say, maybe two and a half. Mims played a couple of reps, seven on seven, but that was it. Um, so it was really two guys that got a chance to shine on Saturday, and that was Jordan Wilmore, the four-star transfer from Utah. He's uh, been here for a little bit, trying to break out. And then they had the walk-on, Elijah Gilliam, who he's a walk-on, but he's from Bishop Gorman. He's got good size. He's not um, you know, some of the walk-ons that you see sometimes. He's, I think, a little more borderline of a contributor, perhaps, but um, those were the only two guys that got to play, and we saw Wilmore take advantage of that. He scored a touchdown right off the bat and uh, looked pretty good when he had his chances. Um, but it's, it had been sounding like the star of, of spring and really a carryover from last year's spring where he had a huge uh, spring preview. He was the star of that, and he had a really good fall. It was Malik Sherrod, um, but that only earned him the number three running back job last year. And when you got Rivers and Mims, you don't use the number three guy a whole lot. So uh, he, he was hurt on Saturday. He didn't get to go, um, but it looks like he's probably got the leg up for the number two running back job. But Jordan Wilmore is not far behind. And then they've had a slew of injuries. They've had um, Javon Bigelow, who returned to the team and didn't participate this spring. Uh, Jonathan Arsenault suffered an injury and uh, looks like it could be a, a significant one. And then Jordan Hornbeek left the team uh, with, through the transfer portal. Uh, so the depth thinned really quick, and that might carry over a little bit to the fall. Uh, they didn't recruit any running backs this off, or this past class just because you had the Hornbeek and Arsenault who were pretty big-time recruits, still just redshirt freshmen on your team. Um, so right now they're going to be uh, looking for a, a transfer running back in the portal uh, to try to boost that up, and we'll see if it's someone who – uh, kind of replaces Hornbeak as a young depth up and comer type, or if it's someone that might really push for that number two job with Sarah and Wilmore. Um, I, I think it's going to be tough to find someone perhaps in the portal that uh, will surpass Sarah and Wilmore right off the bat. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about those two, but the big concern is that just Mims's injury history and, uh, even last year, after playing a couple of games with a lot of reps, he, he needed some time to recover. And so uh, if that's the case, you're going to need both depth and some talent in your upperclassmen at that position. And hopefully they can find someone uh, that kind of fits that bill that uh, can at least contribute and um, uh, gives them an, another option beyond Mims if uh, he's got to rest or if he suffers an injury. Yeah, so the running back position is going to be a, a one that's going to be kind of touch and go to try and make sure that the Bulldogs have enough depth there um, because, uh, like we've mentioned before in the past, uh, Mims has been, uh, for lack of a better term, injury prone um, and has gone down uh, a few times. So uh, hopefully they can build up uh, some depth behind them that can be reliable uh, go-to guys for the Bulldogs here going into next season. Um, 
After that, we run into the next position. Let's go ahead and go to the offensive line. This is another one that uh, uh, the Bulldogs seem to have some uh, injuries at right now and are, again, lacking a little bit of depth uh, for the offensive line. I know they held held out maybe a couple of line um, offensive linemen. One notably was Dante Bull. Um, so what's your take on the offensive line going uh after this spring uh, practice? Yeah, you know, the offensive line started out pretty strong on Saturday, but as the day went on, they seemed to kind of wear down, especially towards the end. We saw the D-line pick up a a ton of sacks. They even had back-to-back sacks on one play, and I think it was the second-team D-line against the first-team O-line. So it got a little ugly there um, towards towards the back half of the scrimmage, but... Uh, it is important to note they were very shorthanded. Uh, if you saw, if you were there at the spring preview, you noticed they did quite a bit of seven on seven during the scrimmage, where there's no lines. It's just basically quarterbacks, receivers, and defensive backs for the most part. And um, that is something that usually you'll see at a practice. They'll do seven on seven, and then they'll go to eleven on eleven. But they've mixed it in with this scrimmage just to keep the lines fresh, especially the O line. Uh, they didn't have 10 healthy guys to have a first and second team. So a lot of players were, or a couple of guys were doing both first and second team and really getting uh, tired and worn down. So they mixed in some drives that were just seven on seven to try to keep those guys fresh and going throughout the day. And it is also important to note that there's so many players that were either injured or are not even here yet that could be on that starting line. Uh, as you mentioned, Bull is out. He had a procedure a few months back after the season, and he's still rehabbing, so he wasn't able to practice this spring. Um, Jose Vavaro also, um, you know, the, probably the next most experienced still lineman, uh, got dinged up about a week or two ago, and they kept him out of the spring preview. Uh, you've also got a ton of guys that are on their way here for the summer that aren't here yet. Um, you have the Michigan straight, Michigan State transfer, Jacob Isaiah is coming. Uh, an offensive tackle from Riverside City College, um, Anthony LaFrance is thought to be a guy that could start for the Bulldogs or, or push there. So, And they're not the only ones that got some more junior college and high school guys coming in. So there's a, a chance you're looking at three or four guys that will start for the Bulldogs that were not dressed out or even at Bulldog Stadium on Saturday. So, uh, And then that makes a lot of those first-teamers, potentially second-teamers. Now all of a sudden you've got some pretty good depth, too if that works out that way. So uh, it's going to be pretty hectic in August to try to put that thing together, but they should have the players to to feel confident enough that it's not going to be a a super weak link on this offense. And that's good news for the Bulldogs where it's been kind of a touch and go for the last few seasons at the offensive line. So hopefully this will will translate into having – some sort of cohesiveness on that offensive line for the for the Bulldogs. Um, next up is going. Let's let's go to the wide receiver group. Now this is probably one of the deepest and most talented groups Fresno State has had in quite some time. And what what where do you see the offense the uh, wide receivers land uh, after this pr- spring preview? Oh yeah, they they bring back five of the six guys that <clears throat> excuse me that played a lot last year, and so um, some of them played more than others. Uh, I think probably the big face that we saw on Saturday was Nico Remigio, the transfer from Cal, who kind of slides right in there in the two deep, most likely. Um, he had a couple of contested catches and showed a lot of strength. He's only listed at five ten and one hundred and eighty five pounds, but if you get a look at this guy, he is. Uh, just ripped. <laughs> it's uh, he's he's a guy that can bring down those tough catches when he's getting hit. As we saw, uh, I believe it was Cam Lockridge, another transfer that tackled him on, on one of the catches he made for a first down, and uh, got drew some oohs and ahs from the crowd on that one. Um, but the big thing has been that with uh, Jalen Cropper likely moving outside, that's shifted some things around, and we got to see a little bit of that uh, on the spring preview. Um, I think some guys that stood out in my mind were Eric Brooks, who, you know, between Cropper coming back, we thought he'd probably be in the slot, and Remigio coming in as a slot receiver. Uh, was he going to maybe get bumped out, perhaps? But with Cropper moving, and frankly, I mean, Brooks played very well. He caught a couple of touchdowns in the spring preview, and I think he's kind of fended off Remigio for the most part uh, during spring. So it, it looks like he's in line 
to start there uh, at the slot position, which is a real testament to how far he's come along. Uh, he was a big part of the offense last year too, but um, definitely is, is very much in that mix. Uh, Zane Pope had a big day during the spring preview, you know, with Cropper and Kelly, you know, sometimes Pope and, and Jones get forgotten about a little bit, but Pope had a big day. Uh, definitely going to see him rotated in there. And then I thought Magdalena had a, a good spring preview. Uh, they used him on the end around a couple of times. He scored a touchdown on one of them. Uh, might be able to take some of that off of Cropper so that they're not putting him in harm's way this year as much as they have in the past. And, uh, of course, there's Josh Kelly in there. Um, he didn't take a whole lot of reps, but, I mean, we're talking seven guys here. Amore Edwards got a touchdown pass that drew a big cheer from his O-line. So, as we know, they're very deep. They've got a lot of options. We've learned some new things about the group this spring, but um, you know, this is a, as about as good as you can ask for for Fresno State when it comes to receivers. Yeah, it's uh, it looks like this is going to probably be the strength of the Bulldogs is going to be that wide receiver position where uh, it's going to be very difficult for other teams to match up against. Um, if you take one player away, there's going to be two to three other players that are going to be able to uh, to get free. So this should make for a very interesting season for the Bulldogs uh, at the wide receiver position. The next position uh, that should complement the wide receiver position is that tight end position, one that has not been used as much as we've seen in the past. But uh, what are your overall overall thoughts so far on the tight end position? Yeah, the the one disappointment this spring was that Trey Watson was uh, coming off of an injury, so we didn't get to see him make that jump. You know, he was spectacular as a freshman, and they tried to get him involved and. It was difficult with all the receivers. It's going to be a challenge again this year, too. But you anticipate he's going to make a pretty good jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year if he can get healthy and and get going by August for sure. Uh, It looks like he's on the mend and is going to be out there pretty quick, but wasn't able to go this spring. Uh, They've also got Raymond Fowles, who was the starter on Saturday and is kind of next in line. Uh, I, I really like what I've seen from him in practice, but... Again, it's been those guys have been kind of overshadowed with all the receivers, but um, you know, between Powell's and, and Watson, I think that's an excellent one-two combo. Um, I was also pretty surprised or impressed, perhaps, by Jake Baust. Uh, he was a walk-on who went through Singer High School in Fresno City. He got a lot of reps on Saturday and uh, made a couple of catches and just looked pretty solid overall. And uh, Jared Torres, another walk-on in that mix. Uh, and we also got to see with the young guys, uh, Veltre Jefferson, he caught a touchdown pass. So that was really exciting to see uh, the former big-time recruit from Medicine High School who made a quick stop at Utah and is now transferred here back to Fresno State. And uh, it was exciting to see kind of the potential there that, that they've got with him. Uh, he came in at 6'4", 235, just very much looks the part. Um, not sure how involved he'll get this season, but... Uh, if he can do anything like he showed on Saturday, it probably won't take him too long to see some playing time. Yeah, things should be very interesting to see how that uh, that group develops. I'm I'm kind of uh, I've kind kind of excited to see what they can do at that position uh, more than I have in the last couple of years. Uh, but you know, only time will tell to see what happens with that group. Now let's go ahead and switch to the other side of the ball and uh, go start off with the defensive line. Something that the Bulldogs are hoping that they have it figured out this year with some key departures. What's your thoughts on on the defensive line going into this season? Yeah, I mean, you look at what they lost. Uh, You're talking about Kevin Atkins, who signed an undrafted free agency deal with the Niners. Talking about Aaron Mosby, a defensive end, who signed with the Panthers. You've got Ryan Bame, who started for the Bulldogs the last several games of the season last year at tackle. And you've got Kwame Jones as well, who played a whole lot for the Bulldogs and even started quite a bit of that 2018 season when the Bulldogs went 12-2. and It seems like quite a while ago, but he was still here this past season. And usually when you lose four guys like that, uh, you're in trouble. Um, but that doesn't appear to be the case this year. Uh, the Bulldogs have Leonard Payne back, who pretty much broke out last season and now uh, looks to be the anchor of that D-line. And he had a really good day on Saturday, too. Made some impressive plays. 
Uh, they've got Evan Bennett sliding in as well, who started some games last year. He started at Oregon State before transferring here. Uh, so you feel really good about having those two guys at tackle. You've got David Perales, who's one of your best players on the whole team. He's got another year of eligibility, and he's at end. And then very fortunately, uh, Coach Tedford got a hold of Isaiah Johnson and got him to come back to Fresno State before he was going to transfer to UNLV. Uh, he had a run-in with the coaching staff last year and hit the portal and committed to the Rebels. And uh, when Coach Tedford got here, he made sure to, to keep Isaiah Johnson around and heal that relationship. So uh, that's, I mean, uh, that's a pretty impressive starting lineup considering all the players that the Bulldogs are, are losing that I mentioned. And then there's some depth too. I mean, they brought in Johnny Hudson at tackle. He had a, a pretty good day in the spring preview and, Matt Lawson, who's been here for a while, uh, he's a senior now. Uh, he had uh, quite a few stops in the, the spring preview. He was probably the third best tackle I saw. Um, at defensive end, you've got Devo Bridges, who played quite a bit last year after Isaiah Johnson left the team. And um, we saw Julius Lewis as well play some tackle, play some end. Uh, and they've got a big class of uh, recruits coming in still this fall, and one of them being a Stanford transfer, Joshua Pocola, who's just a a monster of an athlete who could really uh, potentially bump someone out of that, that depth chart when he gets here. So um, I think we saw a really good glimpse on Saturday of what they have to offer. They played kind of a depleted O-line, so maybe they looked better than they might have on a normal day, but uh, they looked good. Uh, the personnel looks good, and it looks like it's going to get a little better before uh, the season starts. That's good to hear that the defensive line is uh, looks like it's going to be a solid uh, one of the positions on defense is going to be solid. So uh, I'm hoping that that is going to be the case uh, when we head into the new season here. Moving on to the next position, let's go ahead and, and move on to the linebacker position and how things are starting to shake out there. There's some new faces that I see happening, I believe, Jackson. Am I wrong with that one or... Or how things are yeah. yeah, I was focusing on Raymond Scott, the transfer from USC, who was our first chance to really see him play live 11 on 11. And heard good things about him over spring, but he, he definitely looked apart on Saturday. He had a really big tackle for loss, got back in the backfield on the fourth down and made a good stop. And um, Just looks like a, a good, solid combination of uh, speed and power. He's the heaviest linebacker in the group, but he's definitely not slow. Uh, it just seems to fill a lot of the things that Tyson Maeva brought to this team last year, and, and they lose after one season as a graduate transfer. Um, but uh, Scott was splitting reps with Malachi Langley, who has also really improved and is uh, not given up his spot by any means. And then, of course, there's Lavelle Bailey. Um, now, normally, uh, if you only have three reliable linebackers, you're in trouble. But uh, it looks like the Bulldogs spent most of spring in that base 4-2-5 defense that they had the last two years. It's a much different scheme and a lot of different ideology and, and coverages and, and that, but they've been going with the same base personnel, so there hasn't been a whole lot of pressure on the linebackers. Uh, we saw Tanner Blount, uh, Tanner Blunt, excuse me, the walk-on from Buchanan, who has really impressed over his time at Fresno State. Looks like he's maybe next in line as uh, he was taking second-team reps. Uh, Tyler Mello, who was uh, from Hanford, a lot of expectations on him. He was hurt, so we didn't get to see where he fits in. But um, between Bailey, Scott, and Langley, uh, if they can stay healthy, they've got uh, three really solid linebackers that are probably just going to be playing two positions again this year. And um, we'll see if maybe they can develop some of the depth, but you feel pretty good about that group. Bailey and Langley have played a lot of snaps for the Bulldogs, and they look as mature and as confident as they've been in, uh, since they've been here. That's good to hear. Um, the linebacker position is is typically been one of uh, Fresno State's kind of bread and butter. Uh, some really good players at that position, and it just seems like uh, it's going to be more of the same heading into this next season. But that being said, uh, the next position kind of goes hand in hand with the linebacker position, and that's the nickelback position. Uh, and how are things looking there, Jackson? Yeah, we saw Amari Pate handle most of that uh, on the spring preview. Um, Justin Houston's been a little limited this spring. He played a little bit, but uh, Pate was the guy and had uh, about the only highlight I recall from that group. He had a, an interception on uh, Jake Hayner in 7-on-7, seven seven, so that was 
<clears throat> that was a big play for him. Uh, jumped a route, picked off a pass. But, um, we know uh, he had a couple, of, at least one really bad interception he dropped last year, which was, you know, people say, oh, that's why he's on defense. But he was like the number one high school receiver in the state of <laughs> California his senior year. So I think he's getting a little more comfortable and uh, the hands should not be a problem for him. Um, we also saw Reggie Strong play quite a bit with Houston uh, Limited. Uh, Strong was a, a, quite a contributor for the Bulldogs at safety in 2020. Moved to Nickelback. We didn't see a lot of him last year, so it was good to see him. He looks like he's getting a lot more comfortable there. So um, feeling good about Tate. You know, Houston's uh, reliable, and it looks like Strong's adding to their depth. So it was kind of a quiet day for the Nickelbacks. But um, just as far as getting a first look at this defense, we know they're still going to be an integral part of the defense and that the the personnel is uh, improving with the second and third options there. Yeah, that's uh, definitely going to be uh, be a good addition there, make everything uh, work perfectly for the Bulldogs. Um, I think next moving on, let's let's go on to let, – let's, let's try the safeties, Jackson. I know this one – this one, um, I, I believe we've got a former quarterback playing at a safety position, don't we? Yeah, Stephen Comstock. And, <laughs> you know, um, he made that move in 2020. And the first day of practice, he suffered a real bad injury. And so we never really got to see that play out. In 2021, you know, he was still kind of healing. And by that time, the Bulldogs had basically, you know, established their depth there. So it was really tough for him to break in there, too. Um, but this was his chance on the spring preview, and I felt like he took advantage of it. Uh, Elijah Gates sat out of the spring scrimmage, and that lifted up Comstock to the second team. And then there was also quite a bit of time where they rested some of the other safeties, and he was on the first team. And, man, he was flying around. He made a, several tackles. If we were keeping stats, I think he would have had among the most tackles of the day for the defense with the amount of time he was on the field and the way he was flying around. Uh, so that was impressive to see. Um, they, they still have uh, the same depth that's coming back from last year. They didn't lose anyone. Uh, I imagine Edward Williams and Elijah Gates are going to play a whole lot this season. And LJ Early and Kosi Agina are really trying to you know, establish themselves as the next players in, which they were last year. But it was good to see Comstock. Uh, Krishan Gordon as well had a, a good spring. And uh, he's a, a younger guy that's in that mix too. Uh, came in. With a little bit of a college experience as well. He, he had some stops at Southern Utah, I believe, and um, was uh, at junior college for a quick minute. So, I mean, they could be uh, as deep as six guys there if um, if Comstock and, and Gordon can do what they did this spring. But, uh, yeah, story for me in the spring preview was what Comstock did. And Evan Williams also looked solid, but we expected that. So uh, we'll see if Comstock can push for a spot on that depth chart this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think he looked pretty pretty good compared uh, to what he's uh, been able to do in in the past. Um, I think, like you said, this was his real opportunity to kind of to kind of make his uh, make his claim and and try and get push for some playing time. Uh, and I think he did a very good job of that in this spring um, preview. Moving on, last position, we're heading out to the corners. Uh, and this is something that uh, is kind of a question mark. I think we've, we've shuffled some players back and forth and a couple have left. So what, what do we've got here, Jackson? Yeah, so of course, Deron Bland got uh, drafted over the weekend. It actually happened during the spring preview. That was a pretty cool deal. The news kind of spread throughout the team at practice, and the guys were reacting and so that was exciting to see um yeah and then Waylon Free has also left the team as a transfer over the offseason so the Bulldogs do also bring back Braylon Lux who started all of 2020 and quite a bit of 2021 they have Kale Sanders who emerged as a, a true freshman starter last year uh, for quite a few games um so you feel good about them they also brought in a transfer from Hawaii Cameron Mockridge who also played at Reedley College so it was exciting to see you on Saturday where he stands and how he's doing. Uh, he had one of the interceptions on the day, so that was exciting to see. Um, it looked like he's, you know, fitting in and competing for the, the jobs there. But uh, Lux and, and Sanders spent most of the spring as the first teamers, and 
what we saw last year was Coach J.D. Williams kind of rotated uh, three or four cornerbacks, and depending on if someone got beat or based off of maybe some fatigue, they would kind of cycle in and out. And uh, that was a case where Bland, who's now in the NFL, started the year as a reserve, and he got cycled in enough to where he proved himself as a starter. So Lockridge might have to have a similar route, but it looks like they have three pretty solid, pretty experienced cornerbacks, and we'll see if one of the young guys uh, gives them a fourth option too. Yeah, this uh, this should be interesting to kind of see how uh, how the the battle progresses for playing time at that position. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of a lot of uh, able and willing bodies there, uh, and let's see let's see how that shakes out uh, for the Bulldogs. Uh, well, I almost forgot Jackson. You know, we can't we can't stop without talking about our special teams, um, the kicker and punter position. Uh, you know, we didn't see much, but what what did you get from that? Well, yeah, that was uh, unfortunately for for Abraham Montano, he missed a couple of kicks, and that was kind of what I was talking about with Jake Hayner earlier. You know, he's in a spot where he can only uh, he can't really improve his stock, but if he has a, a rough day, you could say, "Oh, what's going on there?" And uh, Montano did miss a couple, and he was perfect last year when he stepped in for Caesar Silva a couple of games, so. Uh, makes you a little nervous there, but I'm sure they'll, they'll get that figured out. And, uh, I mean, the way he performed last season, you've got all the confidence in the world in that guy, especially what he did at Oregon, going perfect on field goals and extra points on a short notice. Um, so, And then we, we didn't see punters at all, actually. <laughs> Carson King's the only punter on the team right now. Uh, I'm sure they'll work on getting a backup here before the fall, but... Um, yeah, I don't think they even gave him a, a rep since he's the only punter. So uh, we're also curious about returns. Of course, John Baxter's here, so it's going to be more about maybe scheme than personnel. Uh, I think he's going to have a lot of things up as far as trying to block kicks and return them, which hasn't happened a whole lot here the last couple of years. And we're anticipating that Nico Remigio, the receiver transfer from Cal, who we talked about earlier, is going to be a big part of the return game. So uh, they did do some kickoffs, but it's hard to do that kind of live in a practice situation. So they're going to keep quite a bit of that under wraps until uh, the season comes around. Yeah. I expect things to be a little bit different this year with the, uh, with the special teams with uh, John Baxter back. Uh, I believe he, he is a key component that made the Bulldogs what they were in the past during those, I want to say the Pat Hill days where the special teams uh, at one point was the most exciting part of the whole team <laughs> was the was the return game with names like Clifton Smith doing returns and and every time he touched the ball it was a a potential run back for a touchdown every time so there there could be a little bit of that once Baxter kind of gets uh gets entrenched and kind of gets things figured out and and put the the right players in the right positions do you do you expect to see some sort of a change this season Jackson in that regards yeah, definitely. I, I talked to Baxter, and that's part of our um, our VIP series of all the one-on-one interviews with the coaching staff. We got them all, all the new guys, and uh, on Barkboard dot com. And I asked him, you know, what what how do you change things? What do you know about what's been going on here? And he replied that he heard the Bulldogs hadn't had a punt return for a touchdown in like a decade, and a kick return for even longer than that, and. Um, he was talking about how when he was here at Fresno state every week, they would try to come up with some sort of formula or scheme or play to try to take advantage and make that happen against uh, their opponents. And some of the rules have made it a little more difficult, but it sounds like that's going to be a key priority every week is to try to find some sort of weakness in each team, special teams and try to expose it and, and make a big play happen. And, we saw that successfully work during the Pat Hill years, and uh, hopefully it comes around again. And it's definitely going to be refreshing to have someone that is you know, so well-versed and dedicated in special teams compared to having uh, more of a position coach that's doing that on the side. Yeah, and uh, I, w- I welcome the the potential excitement of the kick return game <laughs> because, like you said, it's been like a decade and I, I kind of miss those days. <laughs> um, but that being said, Jackson, that about pretty much 
covers all of the positions for the Bulldogs. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is where it's all going to end. The Bulldogs are going to be uh, reevaluating and seeing where, what, you know, how everyone did during the spring preview. And they're probably going to go and tap into that transfer portal. So where do you see this whole thing shaking out and uh, the potential transfer transfer portal solutions that the Bulldogs may be looking at? Yeah, you know, the Bulldogs have a couple of needs. As we talked about, the running back position, they, they would like to add someone there. Uh, it would be nice to maybe see if they can find another offensive lineman to help them put, over, put them over the top and kind of give them some more guarantee that they're going to be where they need to be this season. Um, and defensive end is a, a spot where they could use another guy there as well. Um, those are my kind of uh, top focuses there for the portal. Um, and the Bulldogs have lost four players in the last couple of weeks that were scholarship guys that are going to open up those opportunities for the team to pursue them. Uh, and so unfortunately, a bunch of those guys were local players. Uh, and even Rodney Wright, the third uh, son of Rodney Wright Jr., who was such a great player for the Bulldogs. It's, you know, sorry to see him go and, Sherwin King, who played quite a bit for the Bulldogs and uh, started some games in 2020, but didn't see a lot of playing time last year from Sunnyside High School. Uh, Jordan Hornbeek, of course, who was Fresno State's best recruit in the 2021 class, um, just had a tough go of it this last year as a true freshman from Memorial High School in, in town. So it was it's a bummer to see those guys leave, but... Um, you know, you can see they were each going to have a tough time playing this year. And if that's what they want to do this fall, um, they were probably um, suggested to, to look elsewhere if that's what they wanted to do. Hornbeak um, on the younger side is disappointing. Maybe that they could have tried to develop him a little bit more. But otherwise, um, you're going to see those three guys probably go to uh, schools that are, are not as strong as Fresno State is right now and maybe get a shorter path to the field. And the deadline was May 1st, but we just saw uh, another entry on the 3rd or the 4th with Pedro Timoteo, uh, offensive lineman from Alaska. Uh, there was a 48-hour window there for schools to report those transfer portal entries, and so it looks like he just squeezed in there. So uh, don't want to see them lose an O-line body, but he was here for just his freshman year, um, and uh, they might be able to use that scholarship to get someone that's a little older and can compete right away. So. Um, not a whole lot of uh, departures there, but um, you know, the, when you see local guys, it's concerning. But I, I think everything's in a pretty healthy shape, and there's no concern about uh, those guys being unpleased or or displeased with the program. It was just more of a playing time situation for them. And of course, this whole transfer portal uh, situation is relatively new to coach uh, to the coach here. Um, Tedford really is still trying to get his footing on how the whole process works. But do you see him kind of uh, getting the hang of it and and really going to use that portal to his advantage here? Yeah, I, should, uh, I think they've done about as good of a job as you could hope so far. Um, you know, even before the portal was officially a thing, he was really, really good about bringing in transfers, especially local guys. Of course, Marcus McMarion and Makai Quick and Ricky McCoy and Lavelle Tatum. I mean, there's a whole bunch of local guys. Johnny Johnson, a bunch of guys that went off to Power 5 schools, were looking for playing time, came back home, was welcomed by Coach Tedford. And even though some of those players had to sit out a year, uh, they all worked out pretty well for the dogs. So now it's even easier. They don't have to sit out. Um, they can come right in and play right away for the most part. So um, the biggest thing, you know, that this is kind of a carryover from last year too, is that Coach DeBoer did a really good job with their staff. They brought in transfers that fit immediate needs. And I think Coach Tedford and their staff have done that again this year too. But they haven't lost players as well. Uh, they haven't had key players go off to Power 5 schools, which some Mountain West programs are seeing that happen. Um, you know that That's a, a real danger in this landscape, and Fresno State's been able to avoid it so far. And really, the schools that are impacted most by that uh, typically are the ones that go through coaching changes. So for Fresno State to have a new coach, fortunately it's Coach Tedford, uh, was kind of the best of both worlds. They kept the team happy, and they were also able to attract 
um, key players to fit those last spots, guys like Remigio, like Lockridge, like Scott. And uh, they've got potential to get one or two more of those guys in the next couple of months. Yeah, so the Bulldogs look like to be in a in a good position right now as they start to uh, head into that uh, into summertime for the next uh, couple of months, right before they get into fall practice and and really start to to gear up. There should be some incoming players that could possibly um, push for some playing time, don't you think, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, the Bulldogs, they have the number one overall class in the Mountain West this year. And uh, overall, meaning we uh, at 24-7 Sports have now added transfers into the, the ranking system. So when you combine your traditional recruiting class and your transfers, Fresno State ranks at the top of the Mountain West. Um, they've got a couple of really good receivers, Jalen Moss and Nathan Acevedo, but it's, <laughs> it's going to be tough for those guys to play much this year. I think the biggest group that can make an impact is the D-line where uh, you got a guy like Miles Bailey who's a really, you know, coming out of high school, really big, really athletic defensive end who might be able to compete on the two deep. Uh, you've got guys like uh, Jacob Holmes and Jazan Jacks, and they've got options there at the D-line. Um, but really, it's going to be those junior college offensive linemen that are still coming and the transfers uh, that are still not here yet as well. Guys like Jacob Isaiah on the O-line, like um, Anthony LaFrance and uh, Jacob Spomer on the O-line as well. Um, those are some guys that might be able to, to compete right away and, and get one of those spots. Yeah, so that this could still shake out to be a, a, a different-looking team by the time fall, <laughs> fall practices hit um, and players pushing for playing time. So that is always kind of a wild card happening for the Bulldogs and a lot of good players coming in that could actually change how things look by the time the Bulldogs head into their new season. That being said, Jackson, any final thoughts as we get ready to wrap this one up? And any uh, Any other news that you want to lay on the fans here? Um, there's one development, I guess they're talking about maybe getting rid of divisions in the Mountain West. That would sure be uh, an interesting change. (laughs) So, uh, that, that, that's something to watch here. And, um, probably more than anything is scheduling. I mean, cause we kind of know who the Bulldogs are going to play in the Mountain West forever based off of the, the cycle of the way that they schedule the the games every, uh, there's a four year cycle and it just keeps repeating, but if they get rid of divisions, I'm going to assume that's going to change. And so by 2023, maybe as early, we could see some different schedules. Maybe Boise State's on that 2023 schedule. They're not supposed to be right now, um, unless it was uh, something special they did that we're even talking about perhaps to play a non-conference game, as we, we talked about before. Um, but So that that's kind of on the radar. And uh, the NCAA has gotten rid of the requirement um, to – have divisions and play conference championship games uh, or there's a, a proposal at least that they're talking about it and if that passes that means every conference can basically just send their top two ranked teams to the title game and try to ensure uh, the best possible candidate moves on to a new year six or the playoffs so um, that could aid the Mountain West maybe it, it might have even meant the Bulldogs would have been in the championship game last year playing San Diego State <laughs> that would have been uh, a wild one so uh, that's something to watch going forward. But otherwise, you know, we're in May. The football team is, they're off right now. They're they're taking finals here pretty soon. And uh, the next recruits don't show up till June. So it's a little bit of a quiet time, but we've got a whole lot going on at barkboard.com. We've still got a whole bunch of interviews from spring practice that uh, we'll be continuing to run over the next couple of weeks. We've got uh, the scoop on the transfer portal as well. I'll be talking about some targets that they've got on the board here that we didn't mention in the podcast. Um, we'll have recruiting news once June comes around. Well, actually, right now, even the coaching staff's on the road at high schools, evaluating players and making new offers. And then in June, they'll have camps on campus, which we, we usually cover and get a lot of recruiting scoop there. And um, before you know it, uh, it'll be at fall camp time in August. So uh, stay tuned to barkboard.com. We'll have a lot of coverage over these months when, some people tune out of Fresno State football, but that's when those are the, the people we love most that are on the bark board that are still excited and interested in these months. And we deliver the content during that time. 
as well. Yeah, we definitely have some diehards that continue to ask questions, uh, even when the Bulldogs are not playing and we're in the off season. We're still trying to dig up more information to share with those uh, with those diehard fans. So if you haven't done so already, and you you know you enjoy listening to these podcasts, but want to get more information, and you haven't visited the barkboard.com, head over there. I highly recommend it. Uh, it is a wealth of knowledge, uh, especially if you get a premium subscription, because that is where we break the latest news that doesn't necessarily go to the public right away. Um, and in some instances it's held there for quite some time before it's even broken to the, to the public. So, uh, if, if you haven't done so already become a premium subscriber, it's really not that expensive. Jackson, break it down for us all how much it really costs for the, the fans out there. Yeah. So if you want to join, um, if you want to like give it a test drive, it's only a dollar for your first month. So that's a good way to, Feel it out and see if it's something that uh, you want to do long term. Um, if you decide to go monthly from then on, it is uh, nine ninety five a month. And if you want to join for a year instead, do the annual rate, which is a, a bit cheaper. We also offer thirty percent off for your first time uh, annual purchases. So uh, if you join for a year, it's only six dollars and twenty seven cents a month is what it works out to. And then. Um, if you get through your promotional period and you're still excited about Parkboard VIP, we also tack on for our loyalty perk, a uh, free uh, subscription to Paramount Plus. Um, so that's a pretty solid bonus. It's like even more, the price I believe is more than a Barkboard, uh, but you get it for free tacked on if you're not on the promotional deal. So uh, that alone <laughs> cover the cost if uh, you utilize that perk as well. And if you're a current subscriber and you're not already taking advantage of that, um, be sure to, to go into your profile settings and it's a pretty quick process to get that activated. Yeah, I use Paramount Plus religiously. I, I love the programming on there. So if if that's not a selling point, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> uh, but uh, that being said, if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. Uh, and if you haven't done so already, head over to our Facebook page and give it a like. Just do a search for thebarkboard.com. And again, uh, if you haven't become a premium subscriber, now's your chance. We uh, you will not regret it over at thebarkboard.com. We've got free and premium subscriptions, uh, which will give you access to either the free board or, uh, or the premium board, which is where most of the information is posted. So if, uh, if you haven't done so already, go over there and check it out. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in and join us again next time as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. <laughs>